You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. All right, let's get our Bibles out and turn to Psalm 19 this morning. Psalm 19, as we continue in our We the Church series, last week we took a a look at a message about glory and getting to glory, Uh, not just about getting to glory in the sense of heaven, but uh, getting to the place in our lives where the priority in our lives, the things we're going after, is the glory of God. To glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission, the spirit of the Great Commandment, that's the purpose of our church. That's why we exist. Uh, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's what the, short, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says. And whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. And, uh, and so that's what we're going for. We're going for glory, and we're going for God's glory in our lives. And as we continue in our series this fall, our launch series, we're going to take the next three messages and talk about the Word of God. I'll talk about the priority of it. Talk about why it's important. Why can we trust it is what we want to take a look at today. Um, the first pillar of our church is proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. We believe this is God's word. We don't believe that this book contains all of the truth that there is in the world. Uh, the, the, the novels, the books, the encyclopedias, nothing could, could ever contain all of the truth that there is in the world. But everything that's in this book is true. Uh, it's not parts of it that we keep and parts of it we throw out from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. We believe it's true and we believe it is God's word. And so we want to take a look at it. And we want to take a look at the reality that it is trustworthy today and that's our focus. So we hold a high view of God's word. Uh, David in the Old Testament held a high view of God's word. We see that in Psalm 19. So why don't you stand with me as our tradition is here uh, to uh, stand to read God's word. We want to honor him as we read. Psalm 19 starting at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, Rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. And in keeping them, there is great Reward. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can bow our heads and come to your very throne room with our prayer today. And Lord, so as we stand or kneel before you, we ask God that you would uh, take your word today, take the principles we're going to learn about it today, and uh, challenge our hearts, stir us up, uh, correct us if we need to be corrected. Show us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Show us the lack of hope that there is outside of him and the ultimate hope we have in Christ. Lord, whatever the work that's needed in our lives today, God, would you give us hearts to receive it? Don't, 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 harden, don't allow us to harden our hearts towards your word. So Lord, give us ears to hear it, and minds that we might understand it. And then Lord, the result of holding trustworthy your word in our lives, we would live passionately differently because we were here today. So I use your word for your name and your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. You can take your seats. 
Well, God's revealed himself in many different ways. There's lots of different ways that God has shown himself to us. Uh, God has shown himself to us in his creation. Um, too often we don't get north of a major Mac, and so we don't uh, see God in his creation. We look up in the, star, the sky at night and we see the glow of the lights from Shopper's Drug Mart and, and not see the glow of the lights from the stars that God set into place. But God has created all of this and we need to get out in it. We need to see it and realize the beauty of it. And God's revealed himself in his creation. God's word says that he's, cre he's revealed himself in our conscience, the, the principle from scripture. Every man knows in his heart that there is a God. Now the word, world fights against it, looks for God in all kinds of different ways, puts herself up on the throne as God. But the reality is, people know there is a God. They just intrinsically, you just know there is a God. It's been revealed in our conscience. Uh, sometimes God reveals himself to people in visions and in dreams. And uh, we see that in the Bible. We've talked about that before. And I think we always need to be careful with this one. It's not to say that God can't reveal himself to you in something. Um, God can't give you a dream. God can't. But God's always going to uh, give you a dream that lines up with his word. It's never going to go beyond what his word says. But God can do it. He does it. And I'm not going to deny it. Hasn't been my experience. But it, it happens. And so God reveals himself to people. In dreams, I hear stories around the world of people who are seeing Jesus Christ in a dream. Right? So God can do what he wants. But he's not going to go outside the bounds of what his word says uh, when he does that. Uh, God reveals himself directly through his word. All scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, is breathed out by God. All of it. And it's profitable. God's word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And so God has revealed himself through his word. And that's primarily what we want to talk about today. And, and then ultimately, God has revealed himself through his son, who is the word. Um, in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, it says, Long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So the next three messages that I do, we're going to be looking at the word of God. This, this week, eight things in a minute. This eight things that show that God's word is trustworthy. A little bit more of a teaching style um, this week. Um, the next time I preach, which will be the week after our anniversary, we're going to take a look at the reality that the Bible is centered, focused towards Jesus Christ. The Bible reveals God and his glory and the redemptive plan through Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to look at in that week. And then the last uh, week of the series, we'll take a look at the sufficiency of, of Scripture, the reality that the, Bible, that the Bible is breathed out by God. He is the source. We already saw that. That God's Word is inerrant. It teaches that the Bible is absolutely true. It's not capable of being wrong. And it's infallible. It flows from inerrancy, but it brings the idea of trustworthiness, and it, it's effective for us. In Psalm 119, 160, it says, The sum of your word is truth, and any one of, every one of your righteous rules endures forever. In John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In Luke 21, 33, it says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. We have a high view in this church. We have a high view of the scriptures. 
And so why are they trustworthy? Why can we believe them? So today, eight things. Eight things we want to look at. Uh, I could have broken this into 10 or 12 or 14. I, I lumped a couple of things together. I made it eight so you thought you'd be out of here before Jesus comes back. Okay? And uh, so, eight things. Uh, here's eight, eight reasons to believe God's word. Here's the first one. The manuscripts. The manuscripts. Um, it's interesting that there are more manuscripts about the New Testament that are accurate then there are manuscripts about what Plato said or what Aristotle said or what Socrates said. The manuscripts of the scripture have proven a, a coherency and, and so we see it in the manuscripts. Uh, Sue and I were in Israel in 2013. We're going to see a couple of pictures from that trip in just a minute under another point. But uh, while we were there, we were uh, down by the, um, the Dead Sea. And as we were traveling back... Um, we, we stopped at a place and looked out uh, to the west uh, where in the hills, in the mountains, there were all of these caves. Um, and in those caves were where the uh, shepherds found the manuscripts in uh, 1947, where they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, 1947. And they pulled them out and they've pasted them together and all that. Uh, that's very untechnical what they've done with them. But, and the amazing thing is, not to us, but to others, is, is how accurate they are to what we have in the Word. Because God has protected His Word and He's given us the manuscripts. You can go back, you can see, you can study and understand that God's Word is truth. The first reason that we see God's Word is trustworthy is because of the, the manuscripts. There's lots more that can be said on that. Um, books and books and encyclopedias have been written on this and you can study on it but the manuscripts show the accuracy and the trustworthiness of God's word. That's the first one. The second one we want to talk about is archaeological evidence. Archaeological evidence. Uh, Sue and I, as I said, we were in Israel in 2013. Amazing trip. If you ever get an opportunity to go, go. It won't make you more a Christian. Won't. It's not going to do any of that. But somehow, just standing where Jesus stood, seeing the things that he saw, um, seeing the, uh, the digs that had been done, and you actually stand there and see them, it, it in a different way uh, makes the word come to life for you. Uh, the picture they're going to put up on the screen, the first one, is a picture in, uh, in Capernaum. Um, so this was the synagogue in Capernaum. Interesting, they have four pillars. We thought that was our idea. Uh, not so much, but uh, that's the, uh, why is that synagogue important? That's, the, uh, that's where Jesus began his public teaching ministry. And uh, this is uh, where it is, uh, the archaeological dig where it is today is actually like one layer still above where it would have been when Jesus um, actually stood pretty much where I stood and taught. It's, it's an amazing thing to stand there and see the synagogue facing towards Jerusalem and realize Jesus stood right here. Uh, those archaeological findings are found all over um, Israel, all over the promised land, and, and seeing God's working. And, uh, the second picture is a picture from uh, where the Sermon on the Mount was delivered. And, and now you have to understand, like the pulpit and the cross and stuff weren't there when Jesus did it. But, but that's looking out over the Sea of Galilee. And that's like, this is the place. You're actually sitting on the side of the hill where, where Jesus taught. 
It's amazing to be able to be there and be a part of it and see it. And Do you have to go to have faith? No, you don't have to go to have faith, but to go and see it, it's amazing truth. The third picture was the one that struck me the most in, a, in our entire trip, and, and that was to stand outside of the tomb uh, that they believed Jesus was actually buried in, and then to go inside. The tomb, in fact, is not empty. About 5,000 visitors go in it every day. But, it's, uh, but Jesus isn't there. Why? Because he is risen. And you go inside and there's just a little sign. that says, he is risen. He is risen. Um, not far from there, just a, oh, not even a quarter of a mile, is uh, where Golgotha is, the place of the skull, which is now on the backside of a bus depot. Um, and, uh, but that, it's still there. And you can still see. And... Uh, to realize that um, you're standing within a baseball throw of where Jesus Christ hung on a cross. And uh, we had communion, basically right where that picture was taken, right where I was seated for communion. And uh, they say when you go to Israel as a, as, a, as a believer, somewhere along the line, it just hits you. It just hits you that this is awesome. This is amazing. And we'd kind of gone through the whole trip, and I hadn't had that. I'm like, I wasn't doubting my salvation, but I like, go, oh, what's wrong with me, right? And, uh, and so we're having communion there, and I was asked to serve communion, and I came back to my seat, and I sat down, and I was like, from here to the streetlights at most, from the tomb. And he is not there, because he is risen. And uh, Sue looks over at me, and I'm just shaking. I just, I lost it, totally lost it and uh, overwhelmed realizing what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Well, the archaeologists have done the dig. They found the place we believe is where Christ was buried and rose from the grave. And um, we believe God's word because of the manuscripts. We believe God's word because of archaeological evidence. March 5, 1990, issue of Time Magazine had an item, score one for the Bible, it was called, refuting, refuting the research of a British archaeologist that tried to prove that the walls of Jericho didn't fall at all when the Bible would claim they did, but fell at another time. And at that point, her whole theory and everything was debunked. Um, it was destroyed 150 years before the Bible records um, Israelite's destruction. Time also noted many facts consistent with the biblical story. I love this part. While Bible believers certainly don't need scientific proof as a prop for their faith, it's always nice when science and periodicals like Time catch up with the Word of God. Not finding something in archaeology doesn't disprove it. It just proves you haven't found it yet. The more they dig, the more they confirm the Word of God. And God's word is trustworthy, and it's shown in the manuscripts, it's shown in the archaeological evidence, and it's shown in the eyewitness accounts, the people who were there, the people who saw, the people who said. One of the great passages in my mind about this is 1 Corinthians 15, where, where Paul talks about those who had seen the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. I, I'm always amazed at the, at the, the quotations from the Old Testament by, by people who were there and people who saw it. So none of us were there, none of us saw it, but people were, people did see it, and they made their claim, and they stood on what they believed were eyewitness accounts. Many of them suffered. Many of them even gave up their lives. We'll come back to that in a second. 
We believe God's word because of the unity of the Bible. That's the, the fourth thing. The Bible contains 66 books written between over 1,500 and 1,600 years, 40 different authors telling one big story of God's salvation plan that culminated in Jesus Christ. You know, if we were to uh, play a game and uh, have 12 people sit along a row and uh, whisper a statement in the first person's ear, and then they had to whisper what they heard in each person's ear until they got to the end, what came out at the end would be very different than what started at the beginning. Somebody would miss a word, somebody would mishear something, and what started at the beginning wouldn't be the same at the end. But God's word in unity has been protected, and God's word is consistent, and we have it. The Bible would be far less trustworthy if the message wasn't consistent, but it is. You know what it's like when you have a friend or a colleague or somebody and they're inconsistent in what they say. As soon as you see it, you begin to wonder, what, what can I believe and what can't I believe? When do I stop trusting what they say? Hey, God's word is consistent. God's word is trustworthy. Are there parts of it we don't understand yet? Of course there are. There are parts I'm not going to understand until I get to heaven. But the parts I understand, the parts I see, the great majority of it, the vast majority of it is clearly understood. Because there's a unity in the word of God. I got this quote this week. Listen, I hope this will stir your heart a little bit. This book is the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. And its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Here paradise is restored, heaven opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is the grand subject our, our good, its design, and the glory of God, its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, guide the feet, read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It's a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. Follow its precepts, it will lead you to Calvary, to the empty tomb, to the resurrected life in Christ. Yes, to glory itself for eternity. There is a unity in God's word, and we trust it. You know, one of the great illustrations of the unity in God's word is, is in the four gospels. You have four very different people who are writing, uh, coming from different perspectives. You have, uh, you have a doctor, you have a fisherman, you have all kinds of different perspectives that they're writing these four gospels. Matthew, Jesus is seen primarily as the king, in Mark, Jesus is primarily seen as a servant. In Luke, Jesus is primarily seen as the perfect man. In, in John, Jesus is seen as the Son of God. And even though they emphasize their events in their own personality and where they come from, there's a unity in what they talk about. And their accounts match up. God has protected his word in a unique way for us. We hold it in our hands we study it in the morning, but we trust it because it's God's word. There's a unity in the Bible.
The fifth thing we want to see is the prophetic consistency. What it says happened. In the Old Testament, there are some 300 prophecies that are fulfilled in the New Testament. You think about them just in the life of Jesus Christ, and there are dozens of them, things that were said in the Old Testament. This is really going to be the next message we do, and seeing Christ all the way through the Bible and, and how he is the central point of it. But the prophecy about Jesus, born of a virgin from Isaiah 7, the ministry in Galilee in Isaiah 9, the teaching of the parables in Psalm 78, crucified with thieves in Isaiah 53, his resurrection in Psalm 16, his ascension in Psalm 68, and over 300 times prophecies about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus Christ in the New Testament or in, in Revelation in the New Testament. Why? Because God is... God's word is true. And God's word is faithful. And however many things we don't understand, that doesn't make them untrue. It just makes them unknown. And so we'll never know it all. We'll never know the whole counsel of God. We will get to glory and spend the rest of our lives learning more about God and how awesome he is. But what God's revealed to us is true. His word is true. The prophecy is true. Here's the sixth reason we can trust the word of God. It's indestructibility. Indestructibility of the Bible. That God has God has taken his word and it's not going anywhere. Uh, people have tried to destroy it. People have tried to make it go away. You take a look in our world today. In, in countries like North Korea and China, um, there, there's not an openness to the word. And, and lots of times they've been trying to get rid of it in every way they possibly can. And yet in China today, thousands and thousands of people are coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God's word will not be stopped. The word of God will persevere. In history, in um, 8303, the, Ro the Roman emperor Diocletian is his name. Uh, he made a decree that all the Bibles, all the scriptures, all they had were to be burned. And he had killed so many Christians and destroyed so many Bibles that when for a time Christians became silent, he thought that he had put an end to the scripture. He caused a medal to be struck with the inscription, the Christian religion is destroyed and the worship of the Roman gods restored. It was only a few years later that Constantine came to the throne and made Christianity the state religion. Uh, God's word will not be thwarted. God's word will not be torn away. We, it's it's in, interesting for us because we live in, in Canada. We live in North America. If you went to my office, now I know I'm the pastor, but there's like 10 Bibles up on my shelf. We have no more Bibles than we know what to do with, right? Um, but even where they don't, they have parts of the scripture. They have letters to each other. They have, and God's word is not going to be destroyed. It will not be destroyed. For 2,000 years, man has tried to destroy God's word. Man tries to destroy it in many arguments. One of the arguments he just tries to destroy it is in the argument of science. And here's what, here's what you need to know. You take God's word and it'll stand up against the challenge of science if your mind is open and you are a thinking person and haven't bought into the world's presuppositions about some things. This word stands true. 
This word has been the leader in science over many, many decades. It's in the Bible that you learn that the earth is round. It's in the Bible that you learn about gravitational pull. It's in the Bible that you learn about the hydrological water cycle, that the, the rains fall, they go into the river, they go into the sea, and they come back. Oh, that's all found in the Bible. Science didn't figure that out. All science did was confirm that the Bible is true. But man tries to destroy it. We shouldn't be surprised. Man's always trying to destroy the work of God. Man's always trying to destroy the word of God. But the Bible will not be destroyed. Here's the, second, the seventh thing. The global influence of the word of God. I'm not talking here in the sense of evangelism. I'm talking here about the sense of the way our world has been formed. And the systems that we have. Um, most of the systems, uh, government systems throughout Europe came out of some form of a Judeo-Christian mindset. The uh, government style in the United States, the, the, the principles built on came from the word of God. The country that we live in, it all came out of a Judeo-Christian ethic. And you watch what happens when you take your eyes off of that ethic and the destruction that comes so swiftly. And we're seeing it in our nation. We're seeing it in the U.S. And we're seeing eyes that are taking off of principles that came from God's word as the foundation of what we stand on. And, and when the foundations are gone, it all just crumbles and falls apart. But that's not the fault of the Bible. That's not the fault of the truth of God's word. That's the fault of sinful people who won't fix their eyes towards the word of God and towards Jesus Christ. And so government and systems develop based on the truth of the scripture. Well, the eighth one to me is the most important one. Why is God's word trustworthy? And the answer to that is because it changes lives. It changes lives. You sit in this room, most of you, some of you sit here today, and you might be skeptical. You, you may have never heard a message about the Bible or about the Lord Jesus Christ before you. You came and you visited, and I understand that, and I appreciate that. But, but most of the people in the room, God transformed your life through the Word of God. You, at one point, you might have been a skeptic. You might have wondered. You weren't sure. And then the God's Spirit was revealed to you. And all of a sudden, the things that didn't make sense make sense. And the, you all of a sudden are willing to transfer your trust. And it's like, no, no, I take hold of this. I trust what this says. When I was a kid in high school and then in Bible college, there was a man who lived across the street from us. I talked to him a few times and, and talked to him about the Bible a few times. And uh, interestingly, basically, all of the first seven points that I talked about, at some level, he would agree with. But it was just a book to him. It never changed his life. It never transformed him. And, and I believe the word of God is true for those other things, but ultimately we believe God's word because it's changed us. And we know that it's true. And we know that it's hopeful. Um, it convicts us. It instructs us. It comforts us. It frees us. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In John 8, 31 and 32, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples, 
You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In Hebrews 4 and verse 12, it says, The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. I believe God's word is God's word because of those seven other things. But the reality is I believe God's word is God's word because it changed my life. That's where our hope is. God's word was uh, revealed to me as a little kid and understanding who Jesus Christ is and understanding what he did for me. Understanding that I was separated from God, from principles in God's word, and I needed a savior and his name was Jesus. Understanding I was unrighteous and I couldn't fix that problem. Understanding from God's word that sin separated me from an eternal hope and an eternal life with Jesus Christ. And understanding that Jesus Christ was the only way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. All of that weren't principles from man. They were principles and truths from God's word. And as an eight-year-old kid, God showed me those things. And with my mom, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Every person in this room who's put their faith in Christ has had some kind of a challenge, an experience, a in God's word time, just like that. And you came to the place and God's spirit brought you from death to life. The world will never understand it. They can't find a hope in it. Until God does the work and you trust Jesus Christ, you can't be saved. But when you do, you are saved and you're saved eternally. And it all makes sense now. And I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Simple faith. Believing what he did, he did for me. And the moment I did that, God's word taught me that God's righteousness was put on me as my sin was put on Jesus Christ. God's word changed me. Do you have a God's word changed you story? You should have. You need to have. And the offer is there for any one of us in the room. For God loved the world so much, he gave his son that whoever believes in him, believes the word, believes the truth, will not perish, but will have everlasting life. God's word is trustworthy because it changed my life. So this is not just a book to sit on the shelf. It's not we open it just on Sunday when we get to church. This is a book that we live our lives from because it's true, because it's trustworthy. It's where our hope is found. Uh, we had a card we gave out in our church a while ago. It said this, this is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I'm going where it says I will go. God's word is milk for my soul. God's word is seed for my faith. God's word is light for my path. God's word is power for my victory. God's word is freedom for my life. When I read God's word, it brings me joy. When I study God's word, it keeps me from shame. When I memorize God's word, it purifies my heart. When I quote God's word, it defeats my enemies. When I meditate on God's word, it brings me success. When I abide in God's word, it gives me confidence. I am a Bible-believing follower of Jesus Christ. And I trust you are too. Because this is God's word. And it is true. And you can trust it. Well, so what? 
So what? When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, it says, and he answered, he answers Satan, it is written, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you know God's word? Are you trusting God's word? Are you studying God's word? It was interesting, yesterday morning, uh, at the end of the ladies' um, a meeting, the event that was here, I was in my office uh, doing some work. I'd met with a couple, and, and Teresa came upstairs first. And, and so for the next message, I was just kind of working, how do you write what the purpose of God's word is in one sentence? Try and do that, okay? The, the whole purpose of God's word in one sentence. So it's kind of biteable so that we can have something to kind of hang on. And, and Teresa came in, I asked her the question, and she immediately started to quote scriptures to me. Ephesians, she was in Ephesians, and she was in John, and, and it, her answers were absolutely right. It wasn't exactly what I was looking for, but it, she was absolutely right. Um, she knew where the word, what it said. She knew where to go to find the answer to the question, right? And, uh, and so we talked for a few minutes. We're still trying to put all this down into one sentence. But she answered the challenge by knowing God's word because she believes it. She believes it's true. She believes it's what transformed life. She believes it's what works. Jesus believed that. It is written, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What kind of an impact is the trustworthy word of God having on your life? Martin Luther said this, the Bible is alive it speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. Read it again. The Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. This is God's word. It is true. It is trustworthy. Are you living from it? for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reality of it. We hold it in our hands. And Lord, sometimes I think we take it for granted. And yet your word is truth. So Lord, I pray that even today, as we've kind of looked at a message a little bit differently than we normally do. But Lord, these eight things we've seen and ultimately the one where your word changed us. We were walking away from you. We had no desire from you and, and yet your word came. It changed me. It changed us. Because your word is true. It's active. It's alive. And God, I pray that you would give your people ears to hear your word, minds to understand your word, and then, God, passionate hearts, the things we learn, the things we know, to live them out for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name.